just so thankful to be a part of this church. I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to to also serve here once in a while and, and speak. I um, the last time I spoke here was the very beginning of January, brought in the new year. And you know, normally when I'm sitting down and I'm spending time with the Lord and I'm in his word and he's ministering to me and showing me things often, I just naturally sort of process them in such a way where I, I want to share them or teach them. That's just sort of how he's made me to be. But ever since January, when I spoke last, that just wasn't happening. You know, I just spent time with the Lord every single day. He would bless me. He'd minister to me. But there wasn't anything necessarily coming to me that I felt that, that he wanted me to share. Um, until the very beginning of March. And I was going through the book of John, and I came across this story. And as I read it, the Holy Spirit just placed upon my heart. It just grabbed my heart. And I knew right away that, that he had something for me that he wanted me to share. And so I thought, maybe this is really good timing for Jesse, too. He had been preaching, like, every single Sunday ever since January. I thought, maybe he needs a rest, too. So I saw him only two days later. I was out in the foyer. It was actually um, it was the marriage conference that Abby Nakora put on, which was awesome. And, uh, and I'm standing in the foyer, and he actually approached me. And he said, would you be available to preach? on May 26th. And I was just absolutely yes, of course. And, um, and then I, I did ask him, I said, is there anything you want me in particular to preach on? Maybe a series that you're going through that I can jump into? And he said, no, no, just whatever God puts on your heart. And so that was just such affirmation and confirmation for me that I had heard God. And you know, and I needed almost these three past months to meditate on what it was that he was showing me, to, um, to kind of just let it sink into my soul and, and walk in it myself a little bit, to be able to just find the words and articulate what it is that I think he'd like to say. And so the title of my sermon today is Totally Rad, <laughs> and uh, Injection Church, I just feel like God is inviting us to get totally rad in our level of trust, our level of faith and hope and confidence in his love for us. Ultimately, why? Because he'd like us to start radically receiving. He'd like us to start radically receiving. So in true fashion, I wore my most radical piece of attire. Because it's time to get rad, Junction Church. I'm talking like one piece acid wash, ski suit kind of rad, <laughs> feathered mullet, okay, you know what I'm talking about, okay, are you feeling me? And why should this be any surprise to us? Because he knows the plans that he has for us, and we know they are good. Their plans to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. And he'd like us to, he'd like to invite us into just stepping into that reality more today. And you know, he has set the bar so high in terms of what he's willing to do for us. I would even reckon to say, I'm going to get really radical here and say that I think he, everything he does, he does for us. Everything he does, he does for us. 
I mean, after all, he sent his own son to die for us. How will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. This is a radical message. Some of you want us to start walking in. Because he did. He came to give us life, and life abundantly. But there are things that steal our life steal that abundance and steal that joy. And so today, I'm hoping that those things will scatter all the more and that a pillar of truth will fit in each of our souls and we'll be able to start receiving radically today. So what are some of the vehicles that God would like us to take this morning to start receiving more radically? Some of you may recognize the Back to the Future car. Totally rad. Um, Okay, so remember that at the beginning of March, that uh, story that I came across in uh, the book of John. That was the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We're going to go through that together today. He also laid on my heart the story of Hannah and 1 Samuel that we're going to indulge in together today. I've got a list of other examples, I mean, that only just not even scratch the surface. And then we're going to get into the icing on the cake. And I just so hope, God, that you will stop time to give us time to get to this and just talk about some of his promises. <clears throat> and then give us a chance to apply it in a really intentional way. But I do hope and I do pray that the Holy Spirit will just be ministering to each of us as we read his word together today to start applying it in our lives, in our current context, in our current circumstances right away. Amen. <laughs> so let's dive in. Let's feast together on his word. We're actually going to read through these stories together, okay, because his word speaks for himself. I will be interjecting just to speak to some things that I think might be relevant, but, but Holy Spirit, I just pray for every person's mind, every person's heart, and their ears today. Lord, help us to stay engaged with you and what it is that you would have to say to each of us. Help our hearts to remain so wide open to what it is that you would like us to receive from you today. Help our ears to stay completely attuned to you and your truth. In Jesus' name. So let's get started. John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Remember that. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. A promise. A promise at the beginning of a journey. Now. And I'm just going to hover on this first for a while. Bear with me. Now. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Jesus loves you and your loved ones and your family. Now, Jesus loves you. This is such an important message and truth to instill in your heart and your soul. Because it is from this perspective of his unconditional love for us that we need to go forth and perceive everything that is happening in our lives. Anything less would steal the abundance that he has for us. It is from this position of his unconditional love for us, thank you, that 
that he does all things. What does John 3.16 say? Why did he send his only son? Because he loves us. He acts out of this position of unconditional love for us. So now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so, everything he went forward and did was based on this position of his unconditional love for him. And so it is with your life as well. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The first time I read this story, I had to read that again. So he loves them, but so when he heard that he was sick, he, he oh, there's something wrong with this, hey? Towards me a bit more? Is that a little better? So he did not, he did not just go running to him. He didn't even prevent Lazarus from getting sick. He didn't heal him on the spot, which he could have. And he didn't go running. He didn't even prevent him from dying, which we'll see. He spent two days longer where he was, and it was a two-day journey away. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going to go there again? So, a bit of a backstory. You can read this in John chapter 10. You see that Jesus' ministry and his conflict with the religious leaders of the time were at an all-time high. They were seeking to stone him. They were seeking to kill him. For a couple of reasons, primarily that he made himself equal to be with God, which was considered blasphemy, punishable by death. And so in John chapter 10, you'll see that at this place where he want, they're wanting to, to take his life, he challenges them. And he says, okay, fine. Don't believe a word I'm saying. But then believe me based on the works that I do. If I do the works of the Father, then you'll know that I and the Father are one. And so this is really important about some of the events that are about to unfold. So the disciples are frightened to go back through that area, uh, afraid to be stoned. And Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the day he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world? But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because of the light is not in him. After that, he said to them, stay, stay up here. <laughs> I get it. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So he knew this. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. I'm so glad for your sakes that I wasn't just there to prevent him from getting sick, or that I just didn't heal him on the spot. And sure, your faith would grow a little bit from that, but I'm so glad. That, you, that I was not there because your faith is about to grow like crazy. So let us go. Therefore Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Again, just assuming that by walking through this area, we will likely get stoned to death. But then it just skips right over. So when Jesus arrived, <laughs> right, walking in the light, when you're walking in the light and God is light, 
You're not going to stumble. So when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. That's really important to remember. I'll get into that in a second. When Bethany was near Jerusalem, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I love this. I love the relationship Jesus has with the women in his life. A woman in that day, it would have been very countercultural for her to approach someone who was considered someone in authority at that point, to speak so plainly, to just pour out her heart without reservation. But that's what Jesus invites us to do. That's the kind of relationship he has with all people. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary and her sister, saying, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, again, just letting him have it. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Cannot this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? I'm sure there's many of us here today that might be going through things. And you might be asking yourself, God, I've seen you do such great things in my life in the past. I see all the miracles and the wonders you're doing those around me. Could you not have kept me from having to drink this cup? It's an understandable doubt. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Okay, so it's mentioned again in the story that he was dead for four days. Why is that so significant? So in ancient Judean tradition, it was believed that when someone had died, that in fact the spirit of the person remained in the body for up to the third day. And that in fact, resuscitation was still possible. It probably would have been very likely that Lazarus would have been checked on on the third day, just to see if maybe he did rise again on his own. So can you understand that if Jesus is wanting to do something that clearly brings glory to the Father, that shows that it was the Father and his power that did it, he needed to wait at least three to four days. And if we know that God is working intricately in your life, then we have to trust that he has a reason for the madness. So Jesus said to her, 
Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I did give you that promise. Don't doubt my promises. So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I've said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. So the people, I'm just skipping over to John 12 now, verses 17 and 19, says, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that, that you're not doing any good. Look, and this has got to be my favorite verse in the whole one. The world has gone after him. The world has gone after him. It was so important that this occurred. From this one occurrence 2,000 years ago, here we gather today. Over 2.2 billion people in the world today get to know the saving grace of Jesus, get to approach the throne of God with confidence, get to take on a radical level of trust and hope and faith in him and receive radically. And it comes from experiences like this and the faithful few that just hold on and trust him in what he's doing. As I was reading this story, I hope and I trust that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you about your circumstances. I emphasized a few things, but I'll just, I'll just go over a few things that really jumped out at me again. A few things I think God would just like to remind us about as we go through our journeys with him. Number one, he loves them, and he loves us. It is from this position that he is unfolding your path. And remember, this is an unconditionally loving God who is not impotent but omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He doesn't just love us. He has the power to influence every step of our lives. Timing, absolute perfection. He is not late, he is not early, he is not forgotten. He sees and he is working. In the waiting, in the waiting that could be a really difficult time. But even as we see in the story, again, which is I love this story, we see that he provided Martha and Mary with support, with comfort. And that's also a great cloud of witnesses to witness the works of the Father. Meaning is not in vain. None of it is in vain. None of the challenges or the hardships or the difficulties are in vain. You know, sometimes a sense of meaning and purpose associated with difficult things can be the difference between us having a traumatic stress response to certain things or not. And I love this absolute unshakable faith. By taking Mary and Martha and Lazarus through this difficult journey and allowing his disciples to come along, absolute radical faith was instilled in them. After reading the story, I, I searched the scriptures. I was really wanting to get more of an account from Mary and Martha 
I really wanted to hear a little bit more about their experience and their reflections on this experience. I, I just wish that someone had interviewed them, you know, and asked them, if, if you were to do it all again, would you, was it worth it? And unfortunately, there wasn't anything in particular, there was no commentary from them that I could find. But then it smacked me right between the eyes as I was reading forward. As we know, actions speak louder than words. And what we see, remember this is the Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with ointment, as mentioned at the beginning of this story. In John 12, 3, you'll see, you'll see that Mary, when they're, they're actually at Lazarus' house having dinner, and Mary is at Jesus' feet, and she takes what they call pure nard, a perfume, an anointing oil, about a pound of it. Now, this would have been something that likely would have been imported from the mountains of India at that time. It was extremely valuable. It was worth a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. Try to imagine taking an entire year's worth of wages and just giving it to the Lord. She then she takes this, this very expensive anointing perfume and she proceeds to anoint his feet with it and wipe her hair. Um, wipe her hair onto the anointing oil. And and this is also very incredible, to, to anoint someone with oil, especially someone who is seen as someone um, a godly authority, someone who has favor under God, was something that was done to kings. And it was never, ever done before by a woman. It would have been someone who would have been in a place of authority. But again, this is just a picture of a woman who not only knows, not only knows who her king is, but she knows that she can approach him with all confidence, right? Amen. So is this a picture of a woman who's feeling robbed or a picture of a woman who is overflowing with abundance? Thank God. I'd imagine she would have said, I would have gone through that as many times as it took because it changed me. And imagine how just six days later when Jesus was crucified, and it probably sent many of his followers into such a state of disillusionment and discouragement to have people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all those that were gathered around to see him raising from the dead feel to say, mm -mm, don't worry. He's given us a promise, and his promises are good. He says he's going to raise again. He says he's going to lead us. He says that he is going to be there for us to follow. He's going to liberate us as, as he's promised. Until he's rotting in that tomb past four days, I'm not going to lose a wink of sleep over it. So what inc incredibly needed faith at that time. And finally, just another point from that story that is just, I find, to be so important is just to remember and to recognize that in those times of waiting, yes, we know that he's already made the way. We know that his answers are true, his promises are good. But in the times of waiting... Just remember to be ever so supportive and, and empathetic, compassionate with one another, because it's still hard. It's still hard. And so, what kind of first step can we take today? What do we do with this? How do we start entering more so into this receiving now? Maybe, maybe something's already clicking for you, where you're like, okay, I get it. Radical trust. Radical faith, radical confidence in him and his omnipotence over my life, and thus radical receiving starting now. But I'd just like us to go through, 
another story, if you would, the story of Hannah as we find it in 1 Samuel. See, there was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Eli was, the high priest. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice him, he gave portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Lies. Many lies, no doubt, Peninnah was placing in her mind. You've been forgotten. God doesn't care about you. You're worthless. This went on year after year, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you weep? Why are you downhearted? Don't I need more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. But Eli the priest, um, sorry, I should just mention here, that although like Hannah was, I guess, fortunate in that day to have a husband who loved her and who cared for her despite the fact that she couldn't have children. You see, back then it was the woman's fault. And just to give you a sense of the gravity of the importance it was for women to bear an heir, to have children, I mean, it was in fact tied up and intertwined with their, with their identities, with their socioeconomic security, um, with their worth in society. To the point where it was even written in the law that if a woman could not bear a child, it was grounds for divorce. So you can understand why this was terribly despairing for Hannah. And you can also appreciate Elkanah's um, ability to transcend cultural norms and love her despite. Now Eli the priest, Eli the high priest, this would have been God's voice, God's authority on the earth at the time, the connection between people and God before the Holy Spirit came would have been the high priest. In this case, it was Eli who was sitting on his chair by the, door of the Lord, by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her pouring out her soul to the Lord and praying out of her great anguish and great grief. Eli, again, he's the high priest. He's God's authoritative voice on earth. Said to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. In that moment then, all of a sudden everything changed for her. She went her way and ate something. She had her appetite back. And her face was no longer downcast. She didn't get pregnant in that moment, and yet everything changed. Now, we'll see that in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked him for the Lord, asked the Lord for him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy to the house of the Lord at Shiloh and brought the boy to Eli. She said to him, Pardon me, Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. 
this whole, for his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. I'm not going to read this. But after she gives up the very thing she so desired, this is her song of rejoicing. This is her song of pouring out her joy and her, her gratitude for what the Lord had given her. Eli's sons, it's important that this is mentioned here, that Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel, so the child that Hannah brought to be raised by Eli in the house of the Lord, was ministering before the Lord. In other words, was a great joy to Eli. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. When I read this part of the story, I just started weeping. Because, in all honesty, I think it's amazing that God answered her prayer. And she was overjoyed over the fact that she was able to have a son, but, but she did. She, she wasn't able to raise him. And I just pictured this little robe and her making it for him, and I thought, oh my goodness, I just weeped. But reading on, we see that Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife saying again, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she gave birth to three more sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Samuel ended up becoming one of Israel's greatest prophets. One of, his, one of their greatest judges, he transitioned them from what we call a theocracy, where they were led by God, to a monarchy where they were led by a king, by request of the people. He anointed the first kings of Israel, Saul and David. He was the joy of his mother and like a son to Eli. And so, just going back to that stage in the story, where she's pouring out her soul to the Lord. And Eli answers her, go in peace, the Lord's heard you, he's going to grant you your request. Why did everything change for Hannah at that point? For whatever reason, the lies scattered and her confidence in the Lord went to a level that allowed her to no longer live in despair. She knew when she had the very voice of God, very, the very authority of God on her saying, he's heard you. He's going to grant your request. She was able to go in confidence. And that is just what God would like to say to us today. Because he'd like us to live in that confidence and that abundance right away. The father of lies is the one who steals and kills and destroys. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy the abundance that God has for you. Lies will do that. Let them scatter and just place in yourself a stake, a pillar of truth. Press into him. Pour your heart out to him. Bring it all to him. We are not meant to bear the weight of the world on our own. We're not meant to bear the weight of the world on our own. Meditate on his unconditional love for you until you get the truth in and the lies out. And go forth and walk in that radical confidence. Start receiving radically today, knowing that he's got you. And this is, this is so hard for our brains to grasp because it is, it is so contrary to the wisdom of the world. 
Paul says that in, we put so much of our confidence in, in our abilities, in our intellect, in our contacts, in our resources, in our beauty, in our charisma. It is those things that we naturally want to put our confidence in. But that's not where, because those things will fail us, and they do. And I was just very recently reminded that sometimes I really fall short in all of those areas. But that doesn't mean we should ever despair. He has abundance for us now. He gives us peace, not like the world gives us peace now. Because the truth is that his unconditional love for you ensures the path he has you on is good to give you a hope and a future. I just found a few synonyms for radical. I love this. Thorough, complete, total, entire, absolute, utter, comprehensive, exhaustive, sweeping, extensive, and profound. The level of trust invites us into, the level of receiving he invites us into. This is a list that just is like, it doesn't even scratch the surface, people. If you went through the Bible, I, we would be here all day just, just listing, listing the many examples of people who, who were faced with difficult circumstances, but we know it was an investment of their time, of their energy, of their faith. That they came out like Mary and Martha and Lazarus with a level of faith through which they were able to live in such abundance today. And the bottom of this list is mine. The woman tormented by anxiety for 14 years. I know what it's like to live a mental life of suffering. And it's brutal and I would never say to anyone, you know, pull your socks up, smile on your face, sucks. But it was the very thing, for me, I'm talking, it was the very thing that got me running to the Lord, pressing into his word and getting to know him. And I tell you, I wouldn't trade it for a thing. Because better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Right? Like, yeah. And now the icing on the cake. When we read his word... When you meditate on his word and spend time and allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to us with his word, promises come. Pieces of scripture come that just elevate you and energize you and give you that confidence. It's that vehicle that gives us that confidence and hope. We could chew on it as we, as we remind ourselves of them and go through some of our challenging circumstances. Two of them that God has given me for this year that I really apply, I think, to maybe people who... Let's say maybe it's not so much that you're going through a, a type of circumstance that's, that's despairing, but it's challenging in the sense that God has called you to something. God has called you to partner with him in a ministry or a role. Just like I know if you were here last Sunday and, and Dean Semenov shared with us his ministry, God's ministry that, that he has a role in, martial arts for justice, where he's bringing healing and hope to genocide widows in Rwanda. That's a big task. And imagine if you decide to wear the weight of that world on his shoulders. Whew. So we need his promises to keep us receiving and living in abundance. So a couple of my favorite for me this year is First Thessalonians 5.24. says, he who calls you, God has called you to something, he who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Yeah. Wrap your head around that. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Psalm 46.10 kind of goes with it, along with that promise. It says, so cease striving and know that I'm God. 
something I could just meditate on all day long. It sets you free when you know who your God is. A few more promises from his word. I will make up to you, this is Joel 2.25, I will make up to you for the years that the storming locust has eaten. The creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I send among you. That's right. Sometimes he sends things upon us that are quite challenging. He ordains or allows the things in our lives. And intermixed with our free will, which is a whole other conversation. But we serve a God who is both the lion and the lamb. He is the beginning and the end. He is truth and he is grace. He is fully God and he is fully man. So yes, he is fully in control and we have free will. I'm not the designer, I'm not the engineer. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand it like the rest of you, but it's, it's amazing. But he promises he'll make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. His, his promises are true. And his inve the investments yield great fruit, let me tell you. Mark 11, 24 says, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. I mean, and at a fundamental level, do we not all just want peace and joy in our lives? In addition to specific things, but I think when we enter into this radical level of confidence in him, we can start receiving those things that we're wanting today. That fundamental peace, that fundamental joy. I am the vine. John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, but ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. My Father's glory. That's why Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, primarily for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Here's one of my favorites. Young lions lack food and go hungry. This is Psalm 3410. Young lions, those at the top of the food chain, the strongest among us, even they will lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. I like that. You know why I like that? Because it reminds me that Jesus, the love of the Father, is for us all. Doesn't matter what your abilities or disabilities are. Doesn't matter about your background. Doesn't matter about where you come from, the color of your skin, your sexual orientation. The one thing is those who seek the Lord. Those who seek the Lord. It's they who will have no lack of gain. Blessed is the ones, Jeremiah 17 says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, because heat will come. And leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, because drought will come. We live on this earth. We're, we're in this earth, and we may not be of it, but we are here. We never fail to bear fruit. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4-7 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This also verse that says, Del Delight yourself in his commands and his ways and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He's got it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Um, I just want to tell you about this dream I had. Many weeks ago, it was one of those God dreams. And you have lots of dreams every night, and they're usually just, you know, 
neurological processing. But then sometimes you have a dream and it's like, how is this God speaking something to me? So in this dream, there's this beautiful little baby, about maybe four or five months old, just like chubby-cheeked, fat, healthy, rosy, gurgling baby, and and she's she's having a nap in this beautiful little bed with light white linen. She's having a nap, and the arms of the father are just like wrapped around her, and her sleep is the deepest, most restful sleep you could possibly imagine. She's totally checked out. I then I then enter into the dream. I step into the dream and. And, um, and I pick up this baby, nap time is over, I pick up this baby and place the baby on, on my arm. You can tell it's really small because it's still like kind of first, um, fetal position in, in, in my arms. And I take her over to the living room and I place her down. And it's playtime. And she's sitting there and all of a sudden, instead of doing you know, stuff that's worthy of a four or five month old, she starts doing these miraculously supernatural things. She starts solving problems that even you know the greatest geniuses would have trouble with. She's to her her finger dexterity is like beyond you know the most developed adult. It's just little baby. And like, what is the message there? What is the message there? Rest, rest deeply in Him. It is it is from that place of absolute rest and trust in Him that He will do supernatural things through you. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. This world is filled with hopelessness, trauma, and despair. You know, I, I'm, I don't know if you know, but I'm, I'm studying counseling psychology. I'm taking a master's degree in counseling psychology right now, so I'm, so I'm continually kind of bridging my uh, study of theology with psychology and um, some experts, some research would say that there's pessimism and, and learned helplessness that, that breeds hopelessness. That is a loss of trust in oneself, others, and God, or the meaningful order of the world that, that breeds, that are the, the cognitive underpinnings of traumatic stress responses. I mean, Dean talked last weekend about a lot of the, um, the physiological underpinnings of, of, tr of trauma and the disconnection between the self and the central nervous system. But um, that meaningless suffering is the cause of much despair. And I see all these things again, you know, studying psychology, and I think, I look at the God that I know, and I look at his love, and I think, in him, I have every reason to be optimistic. And in him, I know that even when I am helpless, when I am weak, I'm strong, because he's working on my behalf, and therefore I can have so much hope. It is hard to trust people, be very hard to trust ourselves, but I can totally put my trust in him and start to undo or perhaps create a resilience against some of the cognitive underpinnings of trauma. And I know that nothing is in vain. And as you read the scriptures, it just becomes more and more apparent and more and more confirmed that he is omnipotent. He is an unconditionally loving God who is not impotent, who is omnipotent, and nothing is in vain, as difficult as the road may be in the moment. So 
there's this uh, fancy branch of cognitive behavioral therapy called rational emotive behavioral therapy, and psychology is very good at putting lots of big words together for very simple concepts. It is really as simple as A, B, C. And so here's our chance to just apply a little bit whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to you through this. We all experience A, activating events, certain experiences, maybe anticipated events. And we know we feel something in association to that event, and more often than not, we, we associate our feelings to the event. We, we consider that our feelings are the result of the experience. But it's not so. There is a mediating factor, according to this theory. That mediating factor is B. It is our beliefs and our self-talk. It is what we are saying to ourselves. It is those deeply ingrained cognitions or narratives or messages that have gotten into our hearts, our beliefs, that are going to ultimately dictate our perspective and what we're feeling in regards to our experiences. And so, just to bear that in mind, we are reminded to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, to truth, to love. Take time with yourself, with God, with a counselor, with a friend to discuss and make sure that you're fully self-aware of the kinds of thoughts that you allow, that you allow to enter into your heart and into your mind, because it's going to determine your experience in this life, more so far above the actual events themselves. And I tell you, in a nutshell, as Mark 4.19 says, the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things above God, which again, once you have a taste, once you have a taste of the presence of the Lord, it'll be hard to desire other things. Just press into him to make sure you're getting that feast. Those things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But if you continue in my word, and he is the word, so his word and his presence are, are one and the same, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. John 8:31. And that's all I got. And I just hope and I pray, especially for the remainder of this service as we continue to worship, and as our prayer team is on the side ready to receive you in prayer, to pray with you, to minister to you, to come alongside you, that you'll step further, that you will that you will answer the invitation to go more radically into your trust and your faith and your hope and your confidence in him and his love for you and start radically receiving today. So God bless you. I love you so much, Junction Church, my family. Thank you.